If you really think that delving into good theology books, and nothing wrong with good theology books, is going to transform you into the character of Jesus, you couldn't be more wrong. It's when we practice what we believe, when we live out what we believe, that our lives are transformed, right? This is why we hammer away at this. By the way, there's so many of you 11 o'clock. Nobody decided to show up for the 9 o'clock service. Everybody, CC, did you see that? Everybody decided to sleep in today up here. Oh, it's the membership meeting. That's what it is, people. Okay, convenience. Convenience. Ah, yes. We don't like that word in the Christian life. But anyway, for today, you get a pass. The reason why we hammer away at community, community, community is this. There are actually some folks, you, who actually believe that you come in on Sundays, listening to sermon after sermon, that you're actually becoming more like Jesus. You're not. You're not. You walk out here feeling good, maybe inspired, so on and so forth, but where life change happens is in community. When you practice and you live out what it is about the Christian life that you're learning. You can't do this Christian life without community. I'm not going to do the whole brick analogy. If you go, why are there a bunch of bricks up at the table? Ask somebody who's regular here and they'll explain it to you. But let me just talk about this. Let me just, before we launch in, I, I want to talk to you about, I want to talk to you about radical hospitality. That's where we're going for the next two, three weeks. Radical hospitality. And I can't think of a more important time now when we talk about radical hospitality. Radical hospitality is about Martha Stewart. It's not about Martha Stewart. It's not about your Pinterest pins and stuff. <laughs> it's not about table settings. It's actually not even about, listen to this, it's actually not even about being together with people that you know and love already. Jesus comes along and says, hospitality is about your enemies. It's about people you can't stand. It's about strangers in your midst. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1, is where we are. We're going to look at like verses 1 through, I think, 4 or 5 in the next few weeks. But if you're new to our church, I just basically go through verse by verse and draw out insights and principles that we could apply. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Why? Because that's how you'll encounter God. Hear me. That's how you will encounter God. That's how you'll see God. That's how you'll experience his presence is in community with brothers and sisters. Once a year, I like to quote C.S. Lewis, actually more than that, but today is appropriate. I do that because I sound smart and you guys like C.S. Lewis. This is from the book Four Loves and he has this section and I could quote this every month until it sinks in. The context is he talks about these two friends, Ronald and Charles. Ronald, by the way, is J.R. Tolkien. How he connected and met with them regularly over beer and cigars, so on and so forth, and eventually one of his friends dies. Charles dies. And C.S. Lewis talks about how he was sad, but he looked forward because now it's not three, it's two. And he really looked forward to getting to know Ronald better. But he learns that instead of getting to know Ronald better, he actually gets to know him less. Why? And here's the principle. He says, in each of my friends, there's something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. Now that Charles is dead, I'm never going to see Ronald's reaction to one of Charles's jokes. 
far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself now, now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. For every soul, seeing God in her own way communicates that unique vision to all the rest. That is why the seraphim and I as a vision are crying out, holy, 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 holy to one another. See, the more we share in the heavenly bread that is God, the more we shall have. He's talking about how as human beings, you and I even know this dynamic of like you could be with someone and then when someone else enters the equation, all of a sudden that person that you thought you knew is a side of them that's drawn out by other people that you couldn't. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? By the way, singles, this is the reason why if you're dating somebody, it is crazy that you would not invite your community into that process. Why? Because they, other people, will bring something out in that boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance of yours that you will never bring out. Don't you want to get to know them? Like all of them? See, this happened last night with my wife and I. We were at one of our school elementary kids' functions. It was a chili cook-off, right, with beer and chili and stuff. And my wife loves that. I don't. I'm an introvert. I'm in my little corner eating my chili by myself. No, I don't do that. I actually engage people. Come on, I've got some social skills. Anyway. But one of the amazing things is my wife in different settings around different people. It's like, who is this woman? I've known her for 20 years, 20 years, and I'm still pleasantly surprised at the things that other people draw out of my wife, sense of humor, a little witty. And C.S. is going, if that's true of human beings, what about God? How can you possibly draw at all facets of the enormity of God by yourself or with one other person? He says, don't you realize when you're community with diverse groups of people who see facets of God that you'll never see, all of a sudden you begin to see God's holiness, justice, righteousness, compassion, mercy, grace, love. You can't grow spiritually on your own. You're fooling yourself. You can't even grow spiritually with like one other person. You're fooling yourself. You want to grow spiritually? Do you want to know how facets of God, how diverse, different are your relationships? Huh? How diverse, different, and numerous are your relationships? You're bringing out these sides of God that you will never. Oh, what he says, verse one. Keep on loving one of the brothers and sisters. The word keep on loving, by the way, is the Greek word Philadelphia. Anybody from Philly? Any, any, anybody from Philly? One person from Philly. I, I figure there'd be somebody from Philly. Philly literally means what? Philadelphia means brotherly love, right? You know that. Brotherly love. And the author of Hebrews is clearly describing a Christian community that's deep, that's tight, that's close-knit. He says, keep on, because you already do it. Keep on loving one another. And then, though, right away, it's like from out of left field, he says something. He says what? But do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some have shown hospitality to angels without, no, and there's so much to unpack there. We're going to do that in the next couple of weeks. But I love the fact that the author of Hebrews says this because here's what I've noticed. Whenever you get, a, especially Christians, we're the worst of this. When you get Christians that are close-knit and tight and intimate, sometimes those Christian communities tend to be what? Like inward focused and you know what I mean? They just like, we love each other and they just do that and they're not welcoming. They're not hospitable. They're not inclusive. By the way, this is like the church you grew up in. 
Except you didn't know it because you were one of the brothers and sisters. See, something happens in churches, man. And I know this fires up some folks. For you, this is your home. And you, you're living this radically different life. See, there's something about when you attend a church for all, you get really comfortable. And oh my goodness, Americans love spirituality of comfort. We will do anything to be comfortable. And in that setting, we resist being made uncomfortable. Do you know what's uncomfortable for a Christian who's really comfortable? It's actually asking, who's new here? Who's not feeling connected here? Man, who comes by themselves week after week? and done? Who's hurting? Who seems like they're... And by the way, it has nothing to do with church size. I've been to mega churches. <laughs> Where I walked, I'm like, those are some of the most incredible hospital welcome people I've ever met. And then I've walked into churches of like 30 people, and I couldn't wait to get out because I felt like an outcast. So the author of Hebrews is saying, do the community thing. Do it. New community, do it. Engage. Love deep. But, 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 do not forget to show hospitality. Do you know what the word hospitality in Greek literally means? Philoxenia. Philoxenia. Xenia is the Greek word, xenos, foreigner, alien, the other. We get our English word xeno what? Phobia. And immediately, Americans living in 2017, xenophobia. You and I know about xenophobia and the radical message of the gospel is not just individually, corporately. Not only are you supposed to love each other, he says what? You need to love the stranger. You need to love the other. You need to love that foreigner. By the way, by the way, do you know who the stranger is? We're going to unpack this in the next two weeks. Do you know who the stranger is? The stranger is the person that you're afraid of. The stranger is the person that you're suspicious of. The stranger is the person you're unsure of. For some of you, the stranger is someone of a different sexual orientation. For someone... Stranger is someone who doesn't believe what you believe, who doesn't go where you go, who shops where you don't shop. The stranger is the person, actually, you hate, you haven't forgiven. The stranger is that person who raises their family and such you go, that's not a... The stranger, literally, is that person that's unlike you. Who is it? And here's the radical message of the gospel. You ready? Jesus says, treat them like I treated who? You. Love them like I love you. Why? Because I died for that stranger. I gave my life for that stranger. Please hear me. Please hear me. That stranger, and we're going to unpack it, that you would have nothing to do with, that you avoid, that you don't want sitting next to you on the bus, on the train, that stranger that you've got all kinds of feelings towards, that stranger that you've labeled enough, that stranger, Jesus goes, I love them just as much as I love you. I die for that stranger. I welcome that stranger. What are you doing about it? 
What am I doing about it? It's pretty powerful, isn't it? See, we're going to unpack what it means to welcome the stranger, hospitality. But before we talk about out there, I need to talk to us in here. And what prompted this us in here is, I would love to think that new community is this tight, love each other, but also welcoming and hospitable to people that are new and not belonging and not connected. And then I get a truthful email like this from one of my dear sisters. This email is written not by someone who's like here three months and just griping, you know, has an ax to grind. This person has been here about seven, eight years. She has served in like three, four different ministries, been in community, tight, deep with others. And she says, I feel like now is a critical time for us as new community, hear God's voice and respond carefully. Pastor Peter, I think about how the leadership and the body of believers at New Community does this will determine, how we does this will determine our course for a long time. God will make what he wants to happen no matter how we respond, but if we don't start off on the right path, the journey will be that much harder. Are we going to wander in the desert or go straight to the land of milk and honey? And she says this, I agree with you that a big part of how the body works depends on the people that are at New Community and their level of commitment to being a part of that community. I also agree with you that it might be sad, but sometimes people have to leave because God calls them elsewhere. I think what I struggle with, though, is wondering if people leave New Community because they were pushed away or they were not embraced into the body. I imagine a circle of people with their backs to someone new, never turning outward to invite that person into that circle. You speak often about getting out of our comfort zones and making friends with people that don't look like us, and I wish I saw more of that at New Community and in myself. Do you remember what it was like to be the new guy or the new girl at New Community? Do you remember how intimidating and scary this place was? Do you remember that? Can I ask you something? And I'm not picking on you. When is the last time you walked in and instead of going, me and somebody greet me and I'm hurt? When's the last time you went, who's new here? Who's sitting by themselves? Who looks lonely? Who looks like they're struggling? When's the last time you showed hospitality to strangers? I don't normally get real practical. <laughs> you walk out of my sermons going, what the heck are we supposed to do with that? Today is going to feel very different because I'm going to get really practical just for a minute. Can I do that, church? Say yes. If you, yeah, I'm going to get real practical. I'm going to, I feel silly. I feel silly talking about this stuff, but I feel like we need to because I have such a long way to go. Here's what this means for us, both new community, this is our home, what does it mean to welcome strangers, but also as we leave this place and the world, the city that we live in. First, 
What does it mean to, and again, we're going to unpack this. This is just an intro. We're going to unpack the next three four verses of what it means to be hospitalized to strangers. But let's begin here. Low-hanging low fruit. Let's begin here. Pay attention. What do I mean? Observe. Notice. Do you know what's amazing about Jesus? It said of him, he came to seek and save. The thing that Jesus was brilliant at was I think he walked around and he paid attention. He observed. He noticed. He wasn't like you and me. We're walking down the street. There's somebody coming. We don't want to notice them until I pull up my iPhone. I see you, but I want to act like I don't see you. So Jesus actually walks around, and here's the crazy part. He is living in a culture in which people are conditioned, his disciples, to see certain people and not see others. He is seeing people that the culture is invisible, like the Samaritan woman at the well. His disciples, everybody's completely oblivious. And yet, Jesus says, she has a thumb hunger. I see her. The tax collector, Matthew. Tax collectors are absolute, absolute, looked upon as traitors. Nobody sees them. And yet Jesus sees Matthew. Jesus was hospitable because he lived his life paying attention, observing. There are people in this room right now. And there maybe is a woman who's had four miscarriages. And she is crying out, does anybody see me? There's a dad who's been unemployed for nine months. He's crying out silently. Does anybody care? Does anybody care? There are singles in our church who on the outside, they look like they have everything put together. But I guarantee you, their heart is screaming, I am so lonely. Are you paying attention? Do you notice? Are you observing? Are you observing? And here's what I noticed. Do you realize people that notice us, don't they breathe life into us? When people notice it, people normally don't come up to me on Sundays and go, how are you doing? But there are two, three people in our church who do this. They'll come up and go, how are you doing? I go, I'm doing all right. And then they'll grab my arm. They'll look at me in the eye and they go, no, how are you? There are people who notice that I'm hurting when I don't even know I'm hurting. Are you paying attention? Are you observing every single day of your life? You get up tomorrow morning, today, even today after this, you're going to walk out. Are you paying? And here's the thing. In that self-forgetfulness, our soul flourishes. Do you know how small that universe of one person is? Do you know how small that kingdom of one is? But in our self-forgetfulness, when we pay attention, our soul flourishes. This week you're going to walk out and you're going to be confronted with choice after choice after choice after choice after choice. What do I mean? You could either spend 10 minutes with that old lady and be late for your meeting, or you could ignore her rush past her and be admirably prompt. You could be that person at work. Ah, I don't want. 
Or you could put that phone down and say hi to your coworker. How was your week? How are you? Dads! Moms! When you get home, put away your phone. Put away your stupid computer. Turn off the TV. And spend a moment maybe playing checkers with your child. People who observe, breathe life. Is that you? When you think hospitality, you go, whoa, big Martha Stewart. No! Hospitality begins. Pay attention. Observe. Huh? Observe. By the way, people that have done this over the years, it becomes a discipline. And it's amazing. It becomes almost second nature to notice people who are hurting, who are lonely, who need companionship, who might just need someone to just hug them. And the amazing thing I've heard, <laughs> sometimes you don't know for years. Somebody will come and go, do you remember that five years ago when you stopped me after church and we had that two-minute conversation? I'm like, no, I don't remember. And they go, that meant the world to me. You never know the impact that you're having. You never know. Pay attention. Number two. See, I told you, this is silly. Yes? Yes? This is silly. Second one, greet everyone you meet. <laughs> Biblical hospitality. What? I know. Pay attention. Greet every. Listen, listen. I, I caught myself saying, my son's 12. He attends Lane Tech. He has to walk home. It's like a 20-minute walk. And Jenny and I do that, do that talk with our children, which is what? When you come and you meet a stranger, you what? You say, you, what do we tell them? Don't talk, right? Don't talk to strangers. Do you know how conditioned you've been by what you were taught as a child? Can I say something obvious right now? You're not a child anymore. <laughs> you use a knife to cut vegetables. You drive a car. You live away from home. Isn't it time for you to determine how you will interact with the stranger among us? Listen, can I just say something? We live in a culture of fear. We're going to go this next week when we talk about this. Thing. We live in a culture of fear. And this was a powerful moment for me yesterday. Where we've been conditioned to be fearful and suspicious of certain people. Conditioned. Subconscious, conscious. And it's so normal and so natural. Powerful concept. It's so normal and so natural to be fearful and suspicious of certain people. Here's the kingdom of God though. You ready? Jesus says the kingdom of God turns on its head what is normal and natural in your culture. I was talking to a young Asian-American woman yesterday, 23, involved in justice work in the city. You know what she said to me? She said, Pastor Peter, you know where the awakening moment was? I said, when? She said, I was walking home the other night, and I saw a person of color walking behind me, and she said, my heart started racing, and I wanted to walk faster. And he saw it and noticed, and he walked faster and got in front of me. And she said, the moment that he did that, I felt utterly like crap. And she said, I had to ask myself, why do I fear the people I fear? 
Why am I suspicious of the people I'm suspicious of? And what does it mean when the kingdom of God says it turns on its head what your culture says is normal and natural? How do you live? How do I live with the strangers among us? Here's what Paul says in Romans. Paul says in Romans, and this is, this is a simple, simple passage, 15, 7. So reach out and welcome one another to God's glory. Jesus did it, and so now you do it. Can we, can we just do this? If we did this in our church, it would revolutionize it. Can we just say hi to people that we don't know? Can I get an amen? Can we just be that church? Low-hanging fruit. Just say hi to someone you don't know. By the way, I'm going to institute a rule in our church. If you don't do this, you're not welcome here. I am just kidding. We're going to call this a three-minute rule, and it's going to take years to implement, but we're going to do it. What does it mean? After the worship service is done, when I do the whole benediction thing, for the first three minutes, you talk to someone for three minutes you don't know before you rush to people that you do know. Come on, somebody. Three minutes. And I know right now the introverts are like, I am freaking out. <laughs> introverts are like, I love Jesus. I love hospitality. But I ain't doing that. Somebody else. What else can I do? Let me tell you nothing you can do. And this isn't got any easier. Greet someone. Engage people. What do I mean? C.S. Lewis says, every single person you meet is not a mere mortal. Do you know all of us are headed for eternity? And he says, there are some of us that are headed for eternity where if you saw them right now, they would be so beautiful, so glorious, you'd, you'd be tempted to fall down and worship it. And then there are some others who when you see them, so distorted and evil looking that you'd want to run. His point is nobody is a mere mortal. We're eternal creatures made in the image of God. What does that mean for hospitality? That means that you not only pay attention, you not only, you engage. What does that look like? It's asking open-ended questions. What's your name? Where are you from? How did you hear about our church? And when they say, my name is so-and-so, and you find out what they do for a living, your mind goes to this place of, I know somebody you need to meet. And you take them, introduce them, speaking of. Engage them. I told you this is so silly and practical, but I need to put it out there. Engage them into regular life and ministry of the church. What do I mean? If there's a new couple with kids who come and they ask you, can you, do you know where the nursery is? If you're hospitable, you don't go, it's in the other building. You'll have to go through a landmine. What do you do? You say, let me show you. And you walk them there. Pastor Zox goes, go to Newcom Central to sign up. When somebody goes, where's Newcomb Central? You don't go, in the back. You walk them there. When they come and go, hey, I heard of Caitlin. Who's Caitlin? She's a pastor in the church. You don't go, what? Well, you take them there. You engage them in the life of the ministry. You find out they like food. Who doesn't like food? You like food? A group of us are going to Tuesday night, this new, new place. Do you want to come? Oh, you're a new mom. We have a mom's group. It's an amazing group. Do you need a ride? Do you know that our open arms open every Saturday, uh, uh, open during the week? And this particular Saturday, we're actually doing this amazing thing. Would you like to join? We could use a couple more hands. Are you not in a small group? Hey, here's, 
There's so many ways in which we can engage and involve them into the life of the ministry. Church, 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 church. Extending the hospitality of Jesus in a way where they feel welcomed. Let's change our minds. Two minutes to talk to those of you whom you're like, I'm new to your community. I don't feel belonging here. I don't feel connected here. And I'm that person that that woman described. And yeah, I don't know if I'm going to stay and go. I really miss my old church. It was really tight, close-knit. I really miss my fellowship. I really, that's you. Can I just talk to you for two minutes and then finish? The reason why you felt a sense of community there is because you were there for a while. Lucy, do you know what I'm talking about? See, some, does deep relationships happen overnight? It takes what? Time. The thing is, you live feasting on fast food and fast internet speed. You don't like anything. I don't like anything that takes time. And so when a relationship building community doesn't happen, you go, ah, I kind of don't want. So here's my question for you. Here's my question for you that's been saying, I don't feel connected and belong. My question for you are two, and then one, are you being intentional? Passes Ox, people come up here, and every week for the last four weeks, saying, community, 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 community. When are you going to join a community? When are you going to join a small group? When are you going to serve? When will you? Here's the thing. Nobody can do this for you. You at some point, and I might be talking to like five people, you at some point will have to say, I will take the initiative to make myself vulnerable. You will never grow if you don't let people in. You can't. You will never grow if you do not let people in. Are you being intentional? Secondly, can you stay longer than you had planned? Can I ask you something? How is it that you automatically go, I came to Chicago for two years, after two years, I'm out. Did God say that? Excuse me, excuse me. If it's true that you live in a busy culture, if it's true that it's really hard to build community, if it's true that it's really hard, hard time, and on top of that, our culture says, promotion, go after a job, go after it, go after these things. Here's what I want to tell you. And if I could invite them, I would invite them to the stage and tell you. I would invite to the table, to, to, to the stage, the number of people in our church who said no to that promotion because this community. Who said no to that job opportunity because of community. And every single one of them will come up here and they go, and they will tell you, no regrets. Why? What's the use of making a ton of money if you have no one to share it with? What's the point of being successful if there's nobody to celebrate it with you? Which is it? Do you want to grow spiritually and experience life of flourishing in community? Or do you go, nah, my independence, my ambition, what I want to do? Are you being intentional? And if you were coming, saying for two years, what about if you stayed for four? If you came, I'm just going to be in Chicago for one year. What if you decided, you know what, I'm going to stay for two? And if you came here and said, well, after college, I'm done. What if you said, Lord, maybe I stay longer, find a job and work? What would it be like to stay 
longer. A new plan. So here's where we're going. Where we're going for the next few weeks. And I need to, I need to get this out there. Because the reality is you and I are wired in such a way that we are so accustomed to being productive and doing stuff. And that's why I say Martha Stewart and Pinterest pens and all that stuff. Because we have this image of, okay, I got to do the, do the pay attention, duh, and then eventually. Here's where it starts. You ready? It starts. Hospitality is a state of our hearts before it becomes a practice. Some of us have no room here for others. Some of us, the barrier to radical hospitality is not the state of our country. It's the state of our hearts. You and I are hospitable. If there is self-absorption there, if there is prejudice there, there's unforgiveness there, there's anger there. We can't be hospitable if our hearts are full. There's no room there to receive, to welcome Christian follower of Jesus. What is the state of our hearts? Before you open the door of your house, you gotta open the door of your heart. Before you can prepare a table to receive the stranger, you gotta prepare your heart to receive the stranger. And my question to you and me in this dying, hurting, broken, lonely world that you walk into tomorrow is not give me a list of things to do. It is, do I have space here? Or is it just filled with me? How do you jar open your heart? You need what? You need the God. Because you know what Jesus says? <sighs> I am with this. Ephesians 2, verse 12. Kevin, you can come on up. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ and, say the word with me, and what? Say it one more time. What? You were? We were strangers. Let's just get that really, really clear. We were strangers. We were strangers. More than that, listen to what he says. Strangers to the covenant promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, Christ Jesus, you who formerly, through Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Is this good news to anybody? Is this good news to anybody? What is the essence of the gospel? The essence of the gospel is you and I were that stranger. You and I were that alien. More than that, you and I were enemies of God. Cut off without any hope. What does Jesus do? 
What does Jesus do? This is amazing to me. Jesus comes and he says, even foxes have holes. The Son of God has no place to lay his head. He leaves the hospitality of heaven. And he comes down to earth. And on the cross, when he is dying outside the city gate in complete dark, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you what? Forsaken me. Do you understand that we should have been excluded? We should have been rejected. The door should have been shut open to us. But Jesus becomes the stranger. Jesus on the cross becomes the alien, the foreigner. Jesus on the cross takes what we deserve so that those of us who were once enemies of God can now be welcomed as sons and daughters. Is this good news to anybody? Come on, is this good news to anybody? That you and I sit here right now and what we're about to do in a moment when we're into communion, we actually sit here right now and we are welcome to the table, good God, the table of communion. We are welcomed, sinful, broken human beings. We are actually welcomed to the table because of the generosity of Jesus, because of the hospitality of Jesus, because of the graciousness of Jesus. We welcome to the table. And my question is, if he did that to you and me, if he invited me in, who can't you invite? If he took, he took us in, who can't we take in? If he, if he came to seek out and save, and you take this Jesus into your heart, our posture and our shift is we walk around every day going, who, who can I invite? Who can I invite into an experience of God's hospitality with my time, with my energy, with my house, with my attention, with my emotions? How can I draw the most amount of people into the hospitality of God in such a way that they would encounter His hospitality? Who is the stranger among you? Ruthless self-examination. Who is that person that you go, I avoid, don't want to be near, don't want to sit next to, don't really notice, don't really care about. Who, who is the stranger? See, the... This, this to me is, is, I know we do this every month and that's why sometimes we go, ah, oh, we lose it. Do you know, this, the significance of this is that when he invites us to the table, he is inviting you to an experience of the most incredible hospitality ever known to a human being. Sinful humanity into relationship with holy God, enemies of God. Now friends, strangers, and now sons and daughters.